Have you ever walked out of a meeting at work, you sit down in your office, and you ask yourself, why are we doing that? Why? I think we see things happening in America and in our world, and we sit at home, we watch TV and hear or read the news, and we ask ourselves, why? Why is this happening? Why are we doing what we're doing? I think it, it can happen in a church. I think that we can, and it's true in these other situations, that we, we get benign to really our purpose. We become complacent. We get in a rut, and it happens in a church. We just kind of do what we do because that's what we've been told. That's what we do, and we, we don't understand why. And there may be some who are asking the question, why generations? And today I want to give you a very clear, concise, and compelling answer to that question as to why we're doing what we're doing. And what we find is the Bible teaches us that, that all of us have a mission. The reason we're doing generations is because of the mission of this church, and that mission is your mission personally. We say it like this, to engage all people, no matter who they are, to experience Christ either in salvation or in spiritual growth, and to equip them for life. How are you going to handle what's going on out there? How are you going to handle the pressures and the stress, the challenges, <clears throat> and even the victories of life? How are you going to do that? Well, today we're going to see that you and I have a mission. Jesus said in John 17, As you sent me into the world, in his prayer to the Father, I also have sent them into the world. Now what is he saying there? He's saying that you and I, have a mission to the world, to unbelievers. Jesus said in John 20, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So what is your mission? Paul said it like this in Acts chapter 20, But I count my life of no value to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus. To do what? To testify to the gospel of God's grace. God wants us to share the gospel with others. He wants you and me to do that, that that is our mission. That's called evangelism. It's the Greek word for good news. What we're sharing is good news, that God loves us, that God wants a relationship with, with us, but our sin has separated us from God. But God in His grace and mercy sent His Son Christ to die on the cross and paid the penalty for our sin, was raised from the dead to validate what He did on the cross. And that resurrection power is available to live within each of us. Remember, God is building His church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's building the family of God. He's building it through Christ. We studied that last week. The amazing thing is that God has asked us, He's asked you to complete the mission that Jesus began. Can you imagine that? That now He's asked you and me 
to continue and complete the mission that Jesus came to do. Now that means, listen, there's no plan B. There, there's no other way that the mission is going to happen apart from those who say they're followers of Christ. It's based on the last and most important thing that Jesus told us to do. Because you're asking, how, how can we do that? So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, it's a very familiar passage. We know it as the Great Commission. These are some of the final words that Jesus shared with His disciples before He ascended to be with the Father in heaven. And, uh, and notice what He says, Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now there are several things I want us to note today about how you and I can accomplish the mission that God has given us as a church, but also personally. Number one, you have authority to fulfill your mission you have authority to fulfill your mission. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's because of His authority. Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, why does Jesus have authority? Why is it He's so unique that He has authority? Well, it's because He died on a cross, but He was raised from the dead. No other person has done that, ever. What's unique about the Christian faith is that there is a man, Jesus Christ, sent from God himself, being himself, and died on the cross and was raised from the dead. He's Lord over all. He is Lord over all. And if he is Lord over all, though others may not recognize it, he has authority over everything. And particularly for us who claim to be Christians and followers of Christ, he has authority over our lives. That means that He has authority to forgive sins. No one else can do that. No other world religion talks about how your sin can be forgiven. It, it can't. You're just trying to do better. Don't do it again. Don't worry about what happened in the past. But you have a past. And the Christian faith says that if that past is not dealt with, you're in real trouble when it comes to your death and eternity. But thank God He has dealt with our past, with our sin. And not just our sins plural, but with our sin, our sin nature. And that He took care of that problem of sin that separates him, us from God. Also, He has the authority to give eternal life in heaven. Nobody else can do that or say that. But He has authority to do so. He has the authority to overcome Satan. Now that's already happened. Our problem is appropriating what Christ has done in defeating Satan. But He also has authority to commission you. He has authority to tell you what to do. Our authority creates problems, creates tragedies, creates mistakes. It's a real issue if we're relying on our own authority. We have no spiritual power in our lives. But His authority changes lives. I can't do that. You can't do that. His authority empowers us to invite others to him. Also, it means that you have authority to tell your story. In Acts 8, uh, Acts 1, verse 8, 
Jesus is recommissioning his disciples. They've already heard what I just read to you, the Great Commission. Now he's saying it again. And uh, he says that you will be my witnesses. Well, what is a witness? Well, it's somebody who is sharing what they've experienced. I was there, I heard it, I saw it, and this is my testimony. This is my witness account of what happened. So the point here is, is that you are the expert on your life. This past week, I had two young men who were in my office on separate occasions, two different men, and they were sharing with me about their spiritual journey. They're trying to figure it out and about their conversion experience. It was a great conversation with both of these sharp guys and uh, trying to help them move on in their Christian experience. And, and so the bottom line is I, 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 I can't be the authority on their story. I'm not God. I'm not the judge. But they're the expert on their story. They know their story. I was there just to try to help them discern parts of their experience with their story, what was really going on in that season of their life. And I don't know if somebody is saved or not. I can say I think they are. I believe by the what I see and hear that they are. But I look at Listen, I've seen people who I thought were saved but were not saved. And God spoke to their heart. He convicted them of their need. But you know better than anybody. And so you have a story to tell. Nobody can be a better witness of your story than you. God says, in essence, I just want you to tell your story to others. That's what he means by being a witness. So the question is, do you respect this authority? Now, what I mean by that is you say that you love Him. You know you should obey Him. You know that without Him, you're nothing. That you're separated from God. That, that uh, the end is bad news. You say you love Him, but do you respect His authority? Are you willing to do what He's asked you to do? He has the authority to tell you what to do. Are you willing to say yes? Secondly, you have the purpose for your mission. <clears throat> Why should I be doing what he's asked me to do? He says, therefore, in verse 19, he says, because of my authority, this is what you should be doing. And what's the goal? He says, to make disciples. Now, technically in the text, the word go is not an imperative, though it has the force of a command. It's really translated as you're going. And the command in the verse, the main verb in the verse is make disciples. There are participles that modify that verb. And as you go as one, teaching, baptizing, or other participles that, that help you understand what it is that you're to be doing. So there are three parts to the command of making a disciple. First is salvation. A person has to be converted to Christ. They have to be born again. They have to make a personal commitment of their life to Christ in order to become a disciple. Secondly, there is fellowship. Verse 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Notice that clear statement of the Trinity. But also that baptism is a symbol of your commitment to Christ. Now you saw two young women today who did exactly what Jesus said to do. They have become a follower of Christ. They have been saved. But secondly, they, uh, they, they made the commitment to be baptized. 
As I shared with them a few minutes before the service, baptism doesn't make you a Christian. It shows you're a Christian. And what's the picture? Going under the water, the symbolism of the death and burial of Christ and you dying to an old way of life. Being raised up out of the water symbolizes the resurrection of Christ and also for them, for us, the new life that we have in Christ. You went down one way, you came out another. It shows that change. That didn't make the change. That just shows the change. And so it's a witness to the world that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Notice it's in the name that they're baptized, declaring, what does it mean? Your allegiance to Christ. When I say in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I'm saying that you're making your allegiance to Jesus Christ. You're identifying with Him. You are declaring that Jesus is Lord of your life. But this also means that you are baptized, that you're identifying with the local body of believers. So that's the second part of making disciples. The third part is discipleship. Verse 20, teaching them to observe everything I commanded you. Now, what does that really mean? Are we supposed to just make them recite, learn, be able to memorize and quote everything that Jesus said? That's not really what that means. It means that they are to be like Christ. Discipleship is helping somebody be like Christ, to think like Christ, to act like Christ. When it means that I'm a follower of Christ, that means I'm emulating His life. It means that I'm reproducing myself, which is Christ, the life of Christ, in somebody else. <clears throat> Paul said in Colossians, present every man mature in Christ. Now, that, that sounds kind of weird. I'm supposed to stand before God and here's John. He's now a Christian. Now, what does it mean? It mean I am here on earth helping John grow in his faith, become a mature disciple of Jesus Christ. So I want to do my very best. Our church is committed to doing its very best in helping you when you die and you're being presented before God that you've done all that you know to do to be a complete, a mature follower of Christ. Paul said to Timothy, the things that you've heard from me, the same commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Not only am I supposed to receive the gospel and to teach it to somebody else, to share it, to witness to somebody else. But I do it in such a way that they can do that again. Well, you've heard from me, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach that to others. And that's how we're here today. Because somebody made their mind up that they were going to do what the Bible says. They were going to be a witness and they were going to be somebody who helps others know Christ. Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He wasn't bragging about how good he was. He was saying, Christ is in me, and I want to help you follow Christ. I'm trying to be an example. So the goal of making a disciple is much bigger than what we think. It's not about a large church. It's not about bigger offerings. It's not to impress others. The goal is to help others be like Christ and to help as many people as possible become a follower of Christ. So Jesus tells us to be both a witness and a discipler. Now this is important because Jesus' command gives every Christian and every church its purpose, its direction, its marching orders, its focus. Third, 
You have a place to do your mission. He says in verse 19, make disciples of all nations. The word nations there, we get our word ethnic or ethnicity. It means people groups. You go to all nations. Yes, I believe that literally, but within nations are people groups. They all haven't become nations, but that's why we, we go to all peoples, whoever they are, to go to the world. Now in Acts 1.8, when Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses, he told us where we're to do that. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So where is your place to do your mission? Well, first is your Jerusalem. Your Jerusalem, it's here in this town. It's with people that you know intimately. That's the starting point. After Jesus healed a man, that man wanted to travel with Jesus, and Jesus did not allow him to do that. It's kind of strange. You think he would, yeah, sure, you can hang out with me. He let others do that, but not with this man. In Luke 8, 39, Jesus said, Go back home and tell all that God has done for you. And off he went, proclaiming throughout the town all that Jesus had done for him. Notice he said, go home. That was the place to start. That was the, where the mission began. Now, why don't we do this? Why is it so hard for us to share the gospel here in our Jerusalem? You know why? Because Satan has convinced many of us that people just aren't interested anymore in the gospel. They just don't want to hear about it. Uh, they're going to shut the door. Uh, they don't like the church, you know, the institution of it. Uh, they think we're a right-wing radical fundamentalist. You know, I mean, they, they go, on and on I could go. Now, we've been duped in believing that. Gallup polled in 2021 said this, 47% of Americans are members of a church, a synagogue, or a Muslim center. That, that means, based on population, that 176 million people are not associated with anything. They're not believers. Kerry Newhoff has said that 82% of those individuals would go to a church if they were invited by a friend. Think of that. That's 144 million people in our nation that would go to church if they were invited by a friend. They're not saying, I don't want to be invited. I don't want to hear about it. They are saying, I am interested. I, I want to know more. But here's the tragedy. In the survey, only 2% of Christians have ever invited a friend. That's you and me. Think about that. There's no plan B. You need to understand what's happening in America. It's because the church has become anemic and they don't really believe what Jesus has said, that people die and go to hell without Christ. If we really, really believe that, we would do something about it. And everybody's got different opinions about theology concerning what we should be doing about our witnessing to others about Christ. I'm only telling you what Jesus told us to do. We talk a lot about what we ought to do and the way in which God works instead of doing the work of God. God. 
This is why generations. This is why we're doing this. And I want to give you a specific illustration when I finish the sermon of why this is so important. The opportunities to share the gospel are all around us in our Jerusalem. We have people in our church who are tremendous, faithful witnesses here at home. That's why our church is growing. It's because of your witness, your testimony. And I, I tell you, the greatest joy I receive as a pastor is somebody walking down the aisle and I had nothing to do with it. You, you had the influence. You were the one who invited them. You were the one who shared the gospel with them. Where is your place to do your mission, not only in Jerusalem, but Judea and Samaria? Time out. Let me back up just one second. Well, let's go on. I'll, Lord, help me to remember this next sentence. That means those who are near you. See, it's a concentric circle physically, but it's also relationally. Judea and Samaria represents those who are different from you. This is about Judea, the Jews, but Samaria is those who were different from the Jews, culturally. Those who were near you, but they're different from you. Love demands that we move out of our comfort zone and go to people who are different from us. Different backgrounds, different education, different economics, different cultures. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. He doesn't mean by all means compromising the gospel. He means that I'm going to do what I can to relate the gospel to that person where they are. Jesus was the master fisherman. He knew what bait to use. He used different bait with different people. He never compromised the message, but he knew how to become all things to all men that he might win some. Christians are called to build bridges, not walls. Now, we have members of our church who are doing a tremendous job reaching beyond themselves. Celebrate recovery on Tuesday nights. Those who have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Those who are different from us in some ways. Although all of us have hurts, habits, and hang-ups, right? Our access ministry. What a tremendous ministry. We highlighted a couple of weeks ago, or I guess last Sunday, of how they're able to reach a unique generation for Christ. Our care portal ministry. Man, I'm so blessed, and uh, those of you who don't know what this is, that Care Portal is really a platform by which we partner with the Department of Family Services here in our county, particularly the Children's Division, and we're trying to help keep children in the homes of the parents. And so our church takes care of practical needs and tries to build a relationship with those families. And it's a great ministry. So many of you have been involved, but it's, it's different from us. It means we're having to move beyond our comfort zone. Options for women, women who are in crisis from a crisis pregnancy. They're trying to decide, do I abort the baby, do I keep the baby, or do I give the baby away? And there are those on the front line in that moment of decision who are there to help minister to them. Help them ultimately see the grace of God. There's disaster relief. Food baskets, city to city, our fish food pantry, mission trips here in the United States. It's reaching out to people who are different from us, who've been overlooked by others. Where's your place to do your mission? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, 
but also to the world, to the ends of the earth. We must care about the whole world. Why? Because God cares about the whole world. Jesus said in Mark 16, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Was Jesus talking to pastors and missionaries that day? There wasn't one there. He was talking to common people. He was talking to you and me that we go to the world. Well, we're members of a church. We have members in our church who are reaching the world. We have a team within about 10 days that are going to be going to Honduras under Dr. Hoffman's leadership, medical missions team. And uh, listen, it's a great ministry because they have medical missions, uh, uh, physically, dental, they get uh, any prescriptions they need, eyeglasses, <clears throat> food, clothing. But every day the gospel is shared. Every night there's a revival service where the gospel is shared. But there is a Bible training center there in Honduras. And one of the reasons for the trip is to connect the new believers in that community with this new church planner. And what we're doing is a catalyst to start a new church or to help reinforce a church that's been established by this church planner. What does that mean? It centers around the gospel. The mission is not going to do social work. The mission is using social work as a means to the primary mission of the church, which is the gospel. That's what it's about. We've got a group going to Kenya this summer. We do that in Belarus. We're going there. We've talked about Belarus many times, but what a, what a, a timely, unique opportunity for the gospel. Calgary. <clears throat> Our students are going to be going to Calgary, where... Oh, about 1% in Calgary know Christ as their Savior. 99% from, look, the world is there. The world is there and need Christ. We go to all people everywhere. Sinners, outcasts, the lonely, <clears throat> the desperate, the empty, the empty, the poor, the wealthy. All people. People like you and people not like you. There's a place for you to do your mission. Notice finally, you have the resources for your mission. Verse 20. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That means we have Christ's presence with you. He says, I am with you. I don't care how bad it gets in your life. He is there with you if you're a believer. He's there in all places. He said always and at all times to the end of the age. But you also have His power, the power to overcome fear, to do your mission, and to know that His Spirit is doing the work. Now, Paul said this in Romans 1, verse 16, great chapter in, in, in the Bible, <clears throat> but he says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. And when you, have, when you possess the gospel, you have the power to help you share the gospel. And as you share the gospel, it becomes dynamic. It becomes powerful. God is at work. The gospel gives you the power to have courage. He says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not afraid. The gospel has the power to save. He says, it, the gospel, is God's power for salvation. The message of the gospel, the person of the gospel, Jesus Christ, is sufficient to save. God is the one who saves, not me, not you. You just need to give the gospel. 
The gospel gives power to believe and to keep on believing. He says, to everyone who believes. The gospel has to be received by faith, which is produced by God. The gospel has the power to save anyone and everyone. He says, first to the Jew, then to the Greek. The gospel gives the power to have a persevering faith. He says, from faith to faith, the righteous will live by faith. That means that faith alone saves, not by works. That works are evidence of our faith. They don't produce faith. But that saving faith is an enduring faith. So God has given you the resources that you need to share the faith, the presence of Christ and the power of Christ. Therefore, your job is to share the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit and get out of the way. Let God do its work. Your mission Our mission, the Lord's Great Commission, is the answer to why generations. As I was preparing for this interview, and we were talking about some of the videos that we would do, you know, I was telling the guys, kind of, here's the story. We talked about getting a shot of inside the worship center at the old building. As I said, about 10 or 12 pews here, 10 or 12 pews, small balcony. And one Sunday after I preached, I gave a time of response like I'm going to do in just a moment. And a woman sitting right up there in the balcony, she got up and she came down the stairwell, took effort on her part. She walked down the center aisle. She came to me and she said, she said, today in the message you said that that God loves you. I said, that's right. And she said, that's the first time I've ever heard those words. She was a young mother. She said, nobody's ever told me that, that God loves me. And in the message, I'd explain how God loves us through Christ. And she gave her heart to Christ. Now, when she gave her heart to Christ, you know, it wasn't a, okay, I'll think a little bit more about this later. And a slow process. She got the whole dose right there. She was radically saved. So much so that she began to pour into the scriptures. Those in the church began to teach her God's word. And over the years she began to teach God's word. And then she taught in the church. And then she taught through a ministry outside the church. Where she has influenced. She has discipled hundreds of of women for Jesus Christ. Now that day happened on a day in November. And every November, for decades, this was about the time we were going into that building campaign, every November I get an email from that woman. She says, thank you for telling me that God loves me. And she'll say some other things. I can hardly read it. I got one last November. The good news is that she was there that day to hear that God loves her. But there were two-thirds of this community that weren't there that day and will never be in this building on the day that I say that God loves them. 82% of them are waiting for you to go to them 
and tell them, God loves you. And let me tell you how he changed my life. Think of what would happen if this year every person in this room said, I'm going to find one person, family member or friend. They may live here. They may not live here. But think of what would happen if every person in this room this year said, I'm going to find that one and I'm going to tell them about the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life, Jesus Christ. Huh. You talk about revival. You talk about changing this town. It will happen. That's why generations. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? There might be somebody here today who would say, Pastor, I'm like that woman who sat in that balcony. I need God in my life. I want a relationship with Him. And this morning, that can happen. That can begin as you give your heart to Christ. You may not be sure what that means or how that happens. You may have questions. Don't worry. You come, and we're going to help you as you learn how to make that commitment to Christ. There might be many in this room who would say, Pastor, I, I know the Lord. But I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm really under conviction that I need to, to talk to somebody. You begin to ask God to put that person on your heart. As I shared that story, I'm sure there were many of you in this room, you knew exactly who you need to go to. But if you're not sure, you just ask the Lord to speak to your heart, and He's going to reveal that person. Let me tell you why this is important. The Lord just reminded me what I was going to say earlier. Why is it so important that we tell people in a worship service the gospel, how we explain it? And you've heard it so many times. Why? Because when I was in Mississippi, I asked a man who was a member of our church, I said, what happened? Why are you here? He said, down the road is a very large church, and for 25 years I sat in that building, and I never heard the gospel one time. And he said, I came and visited this church and I heard the gospel. And it changed my life. I hate to admit that. That there are churches today where the gospel is not preached. But again, more importantly, yes, invite them to come. Invite them to come. They're going to hear. If they stay long enough, they're going to hear the gospel. But you tell them your story. Ask the Lord to help you, and He'll be faithful to do so. There are those in this room that God is leading you to become part of our church family, to be part of the fellowship. You've understood today really what we're about, the mission, why we do what we do. It's not just why generations, it's why Linwood. It's, it's, it's about everything that we do here. Helping people come to know Christ and then learning how to follow Him. We would love for you to be a part of what we're doing here and around the world. There might be others who need to come and pray quietly at the altar alone. Maybe you can come and somebody can pray for you if you have a need. God, I thank you many years ago that I heard the gospel preached by a seminary student that changed my life forever. That set me on a different path. 
Father, I thank you for these in this room who know you, who love you, who love each other, who are blessed by the ministry of this church. But Father, help us to realize that what we're doing here is for those who are not yet here. And as we do our part, we are, are, are confident that you will do your part in speaking to the heart of that man or that woman. Lord, help these who need to come now. In Jesus' name, amen.